Welcome to the Anthropology and Business Podcast, where you'll learn about the many ways anthropology is applied in business and why business anthropology is one of the most effective lenses for making sense of organizations and consumers. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in advertising, marketing, consumer behavior, organizational culture, user experience, and many other roles, you'll learn firsthand what it means to do business anthropology and how the work differs from academic anthropology. We'll discuss issues like the pace and depth of research in business, our visibility and influence as practitioners, and what we can do to build our brand. We will also focus on the value and impact of our research in business so that we can help business leaders understand why they should be hiring anthropologists. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Matt Arts of the Anthro Business Podcast. I'm here today with Lucia Laurent Neva, who is a semiotician, an anthropologist, and a design strategist, founder of Visual Sino, and uh, co founder of SemioFest, and also on the board of the global board of GBAS and on the organizing committee for GBAS 2023, which is in Mexico. And so we'll be talking a little bit about all of that, and especially towards the end, talking about the upcoming GBAS so that everybody here listening can uh, hopefully come down and attend. Uh, So Lucia, thanks for joining today. Would you mind telling everybody first how you got interested in anthropology? Um, Thank you, Matt. Thank you for the invitation. Well, yes, I I guess it's um, anthropology it's a long story for me in the sense it comes from my childhood without realizing it. I think I spent a lot of time on my own when I was far, four or five. And I, and I remember looking through the windows and watching people all the time and creating stories, you know, from watching people in across in front of my grandmother's house or, you know, my parents' house. There was just, and I, and I sort of created that world. So, but. I was on my own all the time, so I was just kind of thinking uh, all, all the time on those stories and creating worlds. So I, I think it's just the early beginnings of how I got interested in, in, into anthropology. And then um, what happened was that I had to, as you do sometimes, especially where I come from, you have to select what to study for the rest of your life. And I couldn't. I was just like, Oh my God, I like so many things. You know, I, I like design. I like sociology. I even liked, you know, herontology. You know, I liked different things. So I, for me, it was just the connection with people. I just wanted to connect with people at some level, but I didn't know what to choose from. And I went for design, for graphic design. And within graphic design, of course, it was just the idea. I was not very good with words. At the beginning, I was just kind of for me, visual was the 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 medium to you know to connect with people and and while I studied design, I was kind of I realized that I was more into the conceptual side of things. So this is when I got into semiotics. I had uh, you know four years of semiotics and you know diving into theories and conceptualizing you know uh, more at the theoretical level, you know design. And and it was fine. And for a few years, it was fine to do that. But then um, 
I thought, you know, semiotics gave me that connection with symbols that, you know, we have in culture, you know, design. It's just, you know, how I make those symbols visible. But it was missing, you know, the human equation. And although I started a career within graphic design and being more strategic design and, and semiotics, I just felt something was missing in that equation. And then, so I moved to anthropology. I enrolled in anthropology at UCL in, in London, University College London. And I specialize in something uh, called material culture, which is basically the connection of people with objects. And within that, I got fascinated with mass consumption practices, mass consumption theories. Um, you know, one of my supervisors was Daniel Miller. So I had the fortune to, to learn from him lots of, you know, about his work. And yeah, so that's how. Anthropology came, it's just uh, the act of curiosity and trying to compensate, compensate that equation that it was missing from you know, my personal sort of uh, view of the world. Many listening will know the term semiotics, and of course, some will know it you know, intimately. But for those who maybe that's you know, a new concept, could you maybe just step back and give us sort of an overview? I just want to start that even without knowing we're all semioticians, we all are. We're always decoding what things, you know, what makes sense in our world. So semiotics, as we, we said, you know, the literal world will be the, sign of, um, the, the, the science of science, right? We study science in culture. I will put it simpler. It's just how something makes sense to someone how everything you know that we have around how are we decoding how is making sense to us when i go to the pub sometimes in the uk and they ask me what do you do for a living and i said you know well you know i studied you know how things mean to you but it depends on the level you know sometimes what people think of semiotics is that or they immediately remind me it's like um is that what you do is that linguistics and then I said, yes, you know, it has an element of that, of course, indeed. But the problem is that at school, the majority of people had an approach, you know, with linguistic, a very sort of theoretical and very boring, even for myself, you know, it's just when I was in 10th grade, I was just like, oh, linguistic signifier, signified. I was snoring literally in that class because it was it literally went through, through my mind. I didn't, didn't connect. But I do think that we all make sense of the world. Even when you go to a party, you're decoding. When you go to the supermarket, you're decoding what to eat. You know, oh, this is healthy. This is not healthy. This is premium. This is not premium. Um, even when you go into a new office, you know, you're decoding how things are being, or the, the different um, desks are being positioned, and, and, and you're making sense of a, you know, a world. So yes, with semiotics, what we do is, is decoding all the signs that we find in culture overall. It's amazing. It's not boring at all. Uh, I think people should uh, or, or lis uh, listen more about it, but learn more from school. Um, I think as well that semiotics is never ending. You know, you start with a concept and or you start with an idea and you go deeper and deeper and deeper into a different concept. So yeah, that is that is something that we all, at the end of the day, we are all semioticians. And so, in a, with a similar question now, uh, I appreciate that again, the anthropologists will understand these concepts of, of signs or symbols. But there's also a lot of listeners coming from business and from other disciplines where that might still sound, you know, a little 
abstract. So could you just, you know, help define that a bit? You know, what, what do you mean by a sign or a symbol? Yeah, a sign is basically something that makes sense to you. Everything, you know, it could be um, a pencil could be a sign because it, it, it exists in the, the moment it exists in your brain, it connects with a, with a meaning. Right? So everything is related to meaning. So you just put it in the, in the basic, basic sense of the word. I, I, I think what I could do is to give you an example of what we normally would do semi- with semiotics. I think it might help, you know, clients and business and students to get a sense of what you can do with it. So, for example, um, some clients might come to me and they ask me about, you know, Lucia, we have this piece of packaging uh, we don't know if it's going to connect with consumers. Can you look it into what sort of how the colors, the you know, the lettering, you know, the typography, the layouts will connect with these consumers? So what we do is we analyze all the elements of that pack, you know, the shape of the pack, everything, is there, just to see how subconsciously is connecting to a specific idea that the client wants to transmit. That could be an example. Another example is where someone will come and say, look, I mean, we just want to understand the meaning of, um, of what Colombianness is nowadays. How can I understand that? So we just go and understand through communications how people are talking about it or how, you know, the advertising is talking about Colombianness. And we help the clients to understand this universe of Colombianness at the strategic level. So we help them to understand the codes, the, what we call dominant codes, or what is emerging in that culture so the clients can just go and tap into that. Or then another client will be, oh, we want to understand how people will connect with this specific color or the name of a, so when people or when clients are launching a new product and they get given a new name, we just want to make sure that the name resonates in with the cultures they're working you know to or they're working with so if they, it needs to resonate with asian cultures or african culture or a specific uh, country in africa we just help them with that so it's about how you create meaning connections with your consumers that is at the simplest level of course we have you know complex projects but a very straightforward so, you know a piece of the re- advertising they just come and they say, you know, we are launching this new poster. Um, can you decode the meanings behind the possible meanings or the possible icons behind that poster? This is a very sort of simple project, but then we have more complex projects when we decode thousands and thousands of communications or social media posts or, um, but yeah, simply, I don't know if that re- responds, you know. Yep. And Take us through, you know, maybe use a simple project, but uh, because, you know, you frame your your work as semiotics, anthropological, and, you know, design strategy, take us through something, again, sort of more on the simple side and demonstrate how you sort of bring those together, you know, in sort of almost methodologically. Yeah. Um, let me think quickly of... Uh, okay, yeah. For example, a client comes... Uh, I'm not going to say the name of the client, but we could say uh, they come to us and we want to understand what are the meaning of um, cars in a specific country, let's say Brazil or Thailand or 
And what we will do in my case, or the way, for example, we approach those projects is that, or that specific project is I just go and work with local semioticians and we decode hundreds, hundreds of advertising, you know, but not only present advertising, but in a kind of historical uh, advertising about automobiles, you know, just to get an understanding where the codes and symbols that resonate with that culture. And we get a, a full overview, a semiotic audit, as I call it, of what is going on, what the brand is doing, what the competitors are doing, just getting that idea. And then when I have a clear idea of that, I can start looking at hypotheses, not just to say that I'm going to test those hypotheses immediately in fieldwork, but I just have a clear idea of what might be happened historically with that brand, with the world. So that's semiotics give me those tools. Then I will go, let's say, to Brazil, and then I do field work. And then I immerse into people's homes, and I just can have better conversations with semiotics and anthropology and just getting immersed into those worlds and getting more, you know, building empathy and, and understanding that um, connection that, um, that consumers will have with that product or with that culture. In this case, let's say car cultures. And then after that, what we do is when we detect um, a strategic, depending on what the client wants, normally it's a positioning, but sometimes it's they just want to improve their communications. We just go into the design you know, the strategy stage where we, we know already what the codes are, how can we disrupt those codes, what people want, what is missing in the culture, in the narratives of the culture. And then we just go and help them to build a new narrative, a, a narrative and a stretch those codes and think, and perhaps challenging the cultural status quo of what is going on. Um, that could be a typical, you know, anthrosemiotics or project you know, involved in design. So then you give them clear design recommendations or strategic recommendations or what to do, what to do, what not to do. Uh, in a culture. It could work as well for um, organizations or internal communications, same thing. So I just want to understand the codes of how, let's say, uh, a corporate culture communicates. I understand how actually con what they think they project. And then I go internally and talk to all their stake stakeholders, you know, the different employees, and then understand actually, do we have a synergy here? Oh no, perhaps not. Oh, okay, this is what you're missing. This, and then what we do is help them with clear sort of recommendations of what to do at design at the design level, the strategic level, depending on on what the client wants to, um, what the strategy is, and the questions that the research research questions are. Yeah. Great. Thanks. And, and so you mentioned strategy, and you also mentioned something about pushing codes. And so I want to come back to that in a second, but just to stay on design briefly, I often suggest to other anthropologists that they should study design. And you know, by that, I don't necessarily mean like the literature of design anthropology, but I really mean sort of like the tenets of design, just broadly speaking. Um, why do you think? That's given, uh, presuming that's giving you an, you know, have, has, presuming you feel that's given you an advantage in life um, in the work that you do. You know, would you agree with me that anthropologists should study design and, like, you know, what benefits do you see if they were to, to do so? 
Absolutely. I, I, I totally, 100%, you know, I agree with you. But not only that anthropologists should study design, but design, designers should study anthropology as well. And that, I think, for me, was, uh, as a designer, was that we were always in the, in the act of making and creating meanings, you know, through putting all our designs there. But it was what was missing at some points, it was this reflection of how these designs connect with people at a deeper level. And I think that was always, you know, that's what led me to anthropology. And the other thing is that when... I was studying anthropology, I could see as well that there were a lot of theories that were coming from design, a lot an understanding of the world from design, that anthropologists were talking in a very sort of generalistic terms. And I thought, you know, if we understand that, you know, if, if anthropologists only understood that design world better, we could create better products. And that's how, you know, in a way, I think in my time, when I started you know, 25 years ago, a lot of people tried to put you into boxes. You know, you are this, you're a designer, or you're an anthropologist, or are you a, but you couldn't be two things at the same time. You couldn't bring those connections because you're either this and that. And I thought, actually, no, I think we can do this. You know, anthropologists can learn from designers, and designers learn from anthropology. And, and that was... But it was very sad for me at the beginning because when I was trying to find a job as a something that I didn't know could be anthro design, or people, you know, just put me into boxes. I know, but you are anthropologist, but no, you're not a designer. But you couldn't, so I couldn't get a job at some point because, yes, I, I, I mean, I managed to get a job, you know, because it was kind of working on research and either as a researcher, as a semiotician, but not as the three things that you know that kind of define me in a way. Um, and that I think is changing, Matt. I think is designers are becoming probably more aware of anthropology than anthropology being more aware of design at that level because there are different visions of the world and how the world operates. And then I think if we both as designers and anthropologists you know, try to understand and coexist we will make definitely better products and societies and, you know, thinking, because it, it kind of, I don't see it as a disconnected, but this is personal to me. I don't, I think both complement each other at, at that level. And so now continuing on in that thread and getting back to my previous point, uh, how do you see design and strategy being linked? That is a that is an interesting one because when I studied design, and sorry, I'm coming back to the past a lot, but when I studied design, it was all about you're a maker, you know, you you're a maker. So you either there were different types of designers then, and we're we're talking about the time, you know, those times where computers were still, you know, were just kind of a novelty. So somehow the designer became like a computer driver get that, you know, it's just kind of moving buttons and pressing, you know, different codes. And But it was all about making. It was about making. I do think the role of design now has changed massively to the point that we, it's not about making, but it's thinking and building, you know, something to, you know, more consciously. So I think the role of design has changed. And within that is the role of design within a strategy. 
So it's totally linked as well. I don't, I think, as I, as I said, you know, there are different types of design uh, designers and designers that are actually more focused on the making and more intuitive. But in the field as well, it's like, in, especially in the businesses, you need to have an strategic mind about it and know about, not a strate- uh, at the cultural level, strategic at the cultural level, at the design level, communications level, but this strategic mindset is embedded already. And I think it starts to shift. And I've I've seen that probably in the last, you know, let's say 10 years, but more and more so in the last five years. As it relates to strategy, one of the opportunities that I see, and, and tying this back to semiotics, is not necessarily just the ability to decode the existing, but to almost kind of craft a new. Um, and, you know, really kind of help organizations um, you know, I don't know, maybe create a new norm, if you will, in some sense. So how do you view, you know, semiotics and design and, you know, think of it in that way of, of kind of, again, kind of crafting something new that does become essentially, you know, a strategic initiative that sets them apart from others? Totally. I, I think what you have with what I call different semiotic tools and, and anthropological you know, mindsets is the ability to create and um, new futures and challenge, you know, some ideas. So when you are aware and when you know what is going on in the past and the present, when you're very conscious of that, you can really stretch and re-signify it and recode whatever is happening in culture. So it's not only because I. I think what it gives us is this understanding of what is going on so we can imagine and push boundaries with what we want to create. And I think that is the beauty of semiotics because somehow for me it's almost mathematical using this. You know what is going on and then you think you can create a new meaning within that meaning and you extrapolate and continue doing the world become infinite in terms of meanings as well. And this is when we can create new connections to new ideas or dimensions or whatever we want to call it that is stretch even our understanding, our current understanding. I think what semiotics and anthropology as well it gives you a sense of where you are now, but also it helps you to push yourself to create something good and new in the future. And I think that is, is powerful and, and meaningful at the same time. You know, staying on the, the semiotics topic, you, again, are co-founder of SemioFest, so there are probably you know, a fair amount of people who maybe haven't had the opportunity to attend, maybe not even know of it. Um, so could you just tell us a little bit about that and how that came to be and, you know, what you're trying to do with it and, you know, maybe the future of it a little bit? Yeah, 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 indeed. Uh, SemioFest um, is a celebration of semiotic thinking. It's a conference that... Um, that has been going on for 10 years now. It have, you know, I had the fortune of you know, being part of the organization. I co-founded it with Chris Arnin and Hamsini Shivakumar, you know, together with us, you know, some others. And it's a community that has been growing for years. You know, we started small and now it's getting bigger and bigger because people are becoming more aware of you know, what semiotics is and the, uh, and the role of semiotics in this world and the future's world. Uh, what is interesting about semiotics is is, is that we created a semiofest with the idea 
of being at a conference, something that it was not usual. We just, you know, just imagine that you have a, you know, people tell you what semiotics is and immediately people are snoring and then just imagine a conference of that, you know, a hundred times. We didn't want to have, you know, a hundred people snoring in one room. So we just decided that we wanted to create something that it was more um digestible but also practical for people and and it's always the pl up practical applications of semiotics in a more commercial world although uh, a lot of um academics come to this conference to learn you know from the applied world and and so what we're trying to do is not only for uh applied semioticians but academic semioticians as well to open you know those possibilities what it led us to to do it as and i'm talking for myself here I was working for some designing, well, research strategy consultancies, and I was head of semiotics in one of those. But I found here in London, um, and I found that I was all the time doing a monologue. And it was me and my thinking, you know, I was all, yes, the semiotician, uh, your complex problems, yes, the semiotician, oh, Lucia, the semiotician. And I didn't have that connection like other people, like the quant people or the the qual people, and they had you know all this. I, I was always on my own, and when I was talking to you know other colleagues, there were not many in those days. When we were talking, it was like it was so refreshing. Oh my God, someone that finally really understands that you know I'm not you know that person in the corner. You know, is just kind of thinking. Oh my God, you know. And we had all these amazing conversations. And one day, uh, I was at the VNA with uh, with Chris, and we were having lunch. And said, you know, you know, Chris, I just dream one day to have a conference where we can all have these meaningful conversations. And and then you feel inspired. And you know, it's when you go to these design conferences that you just want to. When you finish the conference, you feel the best designer of the world. And so I just wanted to have that feeling. And when, and then he said, well, actually, I was having that conversation with Charles Leach. And they said, well, but we don't make it happen. And that's how it started. So we, you know, he made a call in the semiotic thinking group. And, and then we launched it in London. And it was a success. And then next year was uh, Barcelona. And then we went to Shanghai, Paris. So what we were trying to do is to get the word of semiotics spread all around the world independently. You know, we just wanted to take it out from Europe and from the US and just make it more available to everybody because we all thought that the whole world should know about semiotics and how, you know, important it is, you know, for us to know about it. So yeah, that's how it came about. You recently just wrapped up, you know, another year in Mexico. Uh same same host, same country that uh, GBAS is going to. So since you're on the global board, would you mind telling everybody a little bit about the Global Business Anthropology Summit? Well, business anthropology, um, what is going to happen is going to happen next uh, June in Mexico. And what we're trying to do is, to, of course, is to create more awareness of business anthropology uh, for in, in different regions uh, across the world and making sure that uh, people in the business world uh, know more about, you know, the value and the role of anthropology. Uh, and also for anthropologists who are working in academia to get, you know, get them more aware of what is going on in the applied world of anthropology. So next year, uh, we are, well, we are planning already, you know, to have uh, Jivas Mexico. And it's going to be really an amazing 
conference because the idea is to challenge as well those the, you know the the conference style being top down level approach we just want people to get hands on you know business you know corporate people but also anthropologists designers you know engineers it's not only a, a conference project to only one individual or one, only one type of professionals it's just we're going to have um co-creative uh workshops we're going to have nudie workshops we're going to have world cafes you know uh, salons everything that builds discussion and then you know we talked and and make it more informal or less you know more ha- sorry more hands-on approach what we want to do is just to bring that awareness of you know of especially for mexico of the role of anthropology and what we can do for businesses and vice versa how business you know can help to understand help anthropologists to understand the world and so you know stated there but just to restate for anybody that's listening that may not just be an anthropologist it really is open to all parties uh business you know people engineers as you say really anybody is welcome yeah indeed and 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 i think as as we probably discussed before is people should know about anthropology, people should know about semiotics because it concerns to all of us. So this is not a conference for only academics or anthropologists or only business people or only people who, as you know, we work in the um, business anthropology world. I think it's just for people really interested in how can I make this world better? And this is part of what the theme of the conference is about, is you know making conscious futures, which is understanding and making understanding the world you know in, in in a different way and especially in this time when uncertainty and all this crisis that we have you know economic crisis a global crisis people and businesses are going to be pushed to make um decisions in in a different way and and, and thinking about how we make decisions being more conscious about our decisions our present and our futures we we're just inviting everybody to come just not only, you know, it's not only for academics, not only for, you know, business, uh, uh, you know, someone in human resources as well, you know, is someone who is really interested in understanding the world better. I'm pretty sure I can promise you from what we have already, from the proposals that we had coming from different parts of the world, is going to be amazing because we're exploring um, different topics like uncertainty, in a in a playful way, you know, with workshops. So it's not going to be like, you know, sitting down for hours and hours listening to someone talking, but it's just actually hands-on and learning new tools that you can be applied not only for you know in, in anthropology, it can be applied in business settings, it can be applied in uh in a you know engineering scenario. So all these tools uh, that's what we're trying to do, helping people to be more aware, you know, of the role of anthropology, of course within organizations, but also just trying to see and build empathy or what is going on at the business side as well. So, well, I'll see you there. Uh, look, looking forward to it. And uh, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you to learn more about GBAS or SemioFest or just the work that you do, where would be a good place to reach out? Um, of course, I think they can go to LinkedIn. That is the usual spot, you know, for people to reach. You know, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Lucia Lauren Neva, but also Visual Signo, which is V-I-S-U-A-L-S-I-G-N-O, visualsignal.com. And from there, you know, hello at visualsignal.com or lucia.nevavisualsignal.com. But yeah, LinkedIn is the main. Well, Lucia, thanks for taking the time today. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Matt, for the invitation and allowing me to talk a little bit more about the work. Thank you for listening to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. 
to learn everything you need to break into business anthropology and why business anthropology is one of the best lenses for contributing to business success, visit my website at madarts.me where I cover many topics related to business anthropology and beyond. There you will find all the podcast episodes, blogs, and news. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.